All right, let's read Matthew 19, 16 through 30. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Welcome back to Keys to Freedom. This is our second week in the series, in this study, but it's the first key to freedom that we address today. As last week, we kind of set the stage. And one of the things we talked about last week was how uh, the principles in this study are not designed, first of all, to leave you perfect when you finish this in, in eight weeks, you know, or seven weeks at this point, uh, but to leave you equipped to live this life that God has called you to in Christ Jesus, uh, to live a life of freedom. And this, this study is grounded in the central purpose of the gospel, which is to set human beings, set human beings free to live the life God designed us to live. Right? That's why Jesus came. To set us free to live the life that we, He designed us to live in the beginning. And so that is freedom in Christ. And that's what every one of us needs. That's where every one of us would be the most fulfilled. That's where every one of us would have freedom in our lives. And this is not achieved by transforming our behavior alone. And we talked about that last week. The idea of a tree, right, with roots. And how, you know, sometimes in church and in life and in, certainly in the secular world and any kind of moralism that you encounter, the idea is to trim off branches of behaviors that you don't like. Uh, but instead... Jesus taught to address the tree. Make the tree good and the branches will be good. Make the roots healthy and then the fruit will be healthy as well. And so our goal in this is, is to find freedom by, by becoming someone different. 
not just behaving different. Some of us that are extra disciplined and extra, you know, have an extra dose of self-control uh, and some willpower, well, we can will ourselves to, to change some behaviors and things, but that doesn't change who we are on the inside. And those things are forced and not genuine if they don't flow out of a heart that's right with God. And so this study is aimed not at fixing behaviors, but at fixing us, at, at addressing what's going on on the inside of us. Those things that are rotten and warped and broken within us because of sin in our life, because of uh, maybe behavioral patterns that we've picked up from generations, maybe hurts and wounds in our past. There's a whole host of things that can contribute to an unhealthy life on the inside. And they manifest themselves in, in behaviors that we call sinful. And sometimes we spend all of our time trying to keep from doing those things well, let's spend some time trying to make what's on the inside right. And once that is right, the right things will flow out of our lives. And so that's the premise behind this study. And today we come to the first key of, to freedom, which is a commitment and a connection to Jesus Christ. Everything else hinges on this first key to freedom. Consider it like the hub of a wheel. And it's at the center. And everything else, nothing else works in this study if we don't get this first one right. You know that moment when you are coming up to a stoplight and it turns yellow and you're not sure whether to hit the gas or hit the brake. Uh, the younger you get and, uh, and the, the more testosterone you have, the further back that line moves <laughs> the brake line you know just keeps moving further back when I was in college uh, we piled into a friend's I think he had a rodeo you know like the SUV and we, we piled into a friend's rodeo to go on a pizza run because you got to do that sometimes when you're in college and and so we piled in and we headed out to get pizza and on the way back you know it was dark there wasn't a lot of traffic out because it was probably like midnight or whatever time the pizza place closes we probably pushed it to the last minute and decided we were hungry for a fourth meal and went to get it so we're on our way back and the light turns yellow we probably should have hit the brake but everyone in the car yelled commit <laughs> and to the driver's credit Sean committed all right and he put the pedal to the metal and we blasted through that thing. Now the problem was that intersection had like a big lump. You know, it's like some intersections are rounded like that, I guess for irrigation. I'm 90% sure we caught air <laughs> going across that intersection. But he committed <laughs> and we made it through. And I, I think we beat the red light, I'm not sure. Today, and in this series, and in certain times in our lives, we come to a crossroad, and the light turns yellow, and we get to choose, are we going to commit? And today's message is a call for you to commit to Christ. Some of us are going to be really tempted to hit the brake, but I'm telling you, <laughs> you got time. Hit the, hit the gas, right? Plow through that sucker. You got this. I, uh, I believe that true freedom is found only when we commit to Christ. And we're going to talk about why that is. 
There's a lot of things in our life that really tempt us to hit the brakes. Take it easy. Take it slow to play it safe with God. There's a lot of things in this world that we like and we fear losing it if we commit to Christ. There's a whole host of reasons and if you're doing the study uh, you, you know, it identified some of the traps that people fall into that prevent them from committing to Christ and maybe you're familiar with some of those in your own life or in the life of someone you love. But I just want to begin today as we dive into this story of a guy who hit the brakes. I want to begin by just praying for you. I don't know where you're at today, but let's just pray as we begin our time together. God, each one of us comes here in a different place with our commitment to you. There will be some here, God, that maybe have never even made a first commitment to Christ. There's others of us that have made lukewarm commitments to Christ. Uh, some of us, our commitment has faded over time. It's not even something we consciously really decided to do. It just happened. God, we're all in different places in our life, but we could all use a renewal of commitment to you. And if we want to be changed, and if we want to know freedom, we'll need that. So God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to each life here. That you would break through our defenses and call us to a greater commitment to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the guy that Jesus ran into, we, we talk, this is a pretty popular story in church. If you've been in church very much, you may have run into this story of the rich young ruler. And a lot of times it gets preached as a, a money sermon, right? Um, not letting money be your God. That kind of thing, which is a good sermon. That's not this sermon. Uh, this guy, I, I, I had missed like the whole point of this thing, I felt like, until I was studying for this message, and, and somehow it, it dawned on me. And so maybe this will be kind of like a new perspective for you too. But this guy comes to Jesus, asking for how he can have eternal life. Now, he had probably heard Jesus talk about eternal life, but also as a Jew, he had a concept that, that God's Messiah would come, that he would usher in a new age, a new era, a new kingdom, and that those who were right with God would get to enjoy that kingdom. They, they, would, they even have a, had a concept of a, a resurrection of, of the dead for those uh, who Christ, or the Messiah, the Christ, would raise from the dead and join him in this new kingdom endeavor, this new age that would break into the world. And so he wanted to be a part of that. Eternal life was more, more, you know, so much more than just length of life. It was, it had to do with the quality of life and with being in God's life. And this man, as moral as he was, you know, he clearly had a lot of self-control and discipline. He had, he had been following the moral rules really well. And in spite of that, there was something within him that longed for something more, that longed for a fullness and abundance of life that he hadn't found in just following rules. And he believed rightly that Jesus held this life. And so he came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit life? And, and we get so hung up on the first part of Jesus' response that we miss the whole point that Jesus was making in this young man's life. Because Jesus says to him, right, 
Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And right there, we're lost. We're like, what? <laughs> Hang on now, is Jesus going to ask me to do this or what? Is this just a one-time deal? Like, what did this guy do to, to end up with that command that Jesus, you know, we don't have any record of him saying those exact words to really anyone else. Uh, just go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Like, why did this guy have to give away everything uh, you know, is there ever a time in our lives where we have to give away everything and this keeps us up at night if we think about it too much so we don't talk about this story too much because, whoa. But the whole point of Jesus saying, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor so you'll have treasure in heaven is so that he could say this sentence. Then come follow me. You want to have eternal life? Follow me. Do you want to have eternal life? Follow me. And this young man could not follow Jesus and hold on to all of his stuff. Let's talk about why for a second. I think it's really practical. A lot more practical than we make it a lot of times. It, it, a lot more practical than just that money was his God, which money was clearly took a high priority in his life, too high of a priority in his life, sure. But watch the practical side of this. This young man had a disadvantage that we don't have, and yet we also share in some of his disadvantages, as we're going to see. But the disadvantage that he had, and we do not have, is that there was only one way to follow Jesus when this young man lived. And that was to literally follow Jesus around the countryside, right? Jesus was in flesh, walking and living amongst us. He was teaching in the, in the towns, and he had a band of disciples that went with him everywhere he went, and, and they followed him around, and they didn't have a place to sleep a lot of times, and they slept on the ground, and they, they listened, and they talked with him, and he took them aside, and he taught them things, and they watched him heal people, and there was one way to follow Jesus. And that was to literally follow him around. Now this young man was, they call him a ruler. He was essentially a manager of stuff, right? He was a, um, something, they would have had probably different names for him then than we would have had for him now. But here's a guy who has a lot of possessions and a lot of dealings in business. And a lot of people work for him, either as slaves or servants or employees. He has a lot to manage. He's got, you know, the HR de department to manage. <laughs> he's got, you know, the sales department to manage. And he's got to go out to the city gates and strike deals with other business leaders. And, you know, he's got a lot on his plate. This is a guy who'd be wheeling and dealing all the time. He has investments to manage. His invest investments might have been olives and grapes and sheep. But he had a lot going on in his life. He couldn't just walk away from it. Have you ever known someone really wealthy, that's like done really well in business? And have you ever known it to be easy for them just to get away? To just leave the cell phone and the computer behind and just go on vacation? Maybe some of them do it well. But not many, they're tied to that job. The stock market never stops rolling, right? 
The business deals never start, stop happening. You never know when a client might call. You never know when a, when a shipping might get derailed because a train went off the tracks and oh my goodness, what are we going to do? There's, when you have all these business dealings, there's just constant, there's something tying you to your life all the time. And this man literally could not follow Jesus around and keep his business life going as it was. If you think about it, Jesus said to him the exact same thing that he had said to Peter and to Andrew and to James and to John, these men who were following him around. He said to them as they were at their business, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men instead of fishers of fish. Leave it all behind. And they did. The invitation is the same to this man. Perhaps he had more than a few boats and nets. But the invitation was to let it go. Come follow me. Find the life you're looking for. He couldn't do it. Or he wouldn't do it. That's the disadvantage we don't have because... This is why Jesus said, it's better if I leave you. He said this to his disciples who had been following him around in person. It's better if I leave you, because if I leave you and I go to the Father, then we will send to you a helper. And you'll have my presence and my spirit with you wherever you go. So we have the unique advantage over this young man. And that we don't have to pick up everything and go traveling all around the countryside to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is available to us by His Holy Spirit. So that's a, a really cool advantage that we have. And yet we still have the same disadvantages that this young man had in the sense that we too are busy people. And we have a lot of priorities. And the, what was true for him is still yet true for us. That if you're going to commit to Jesus then you're going to have to reorder your life. This is just a practical fact. It's not a hoop that you have to jump through. The whole point of committing to Jesus is so that you can connect with Jesus. Because it's in connecting with Jesus that we find this life to which He is calling us, for which we were designed. It's in following Jesus that we find freedom and that we find life. It's that connection with Him. It's learning at his feet. It's practicing what he practiced. It's doing what he did. It's following Jesus, being an apprentice to Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. That's where life is found. And so you have to connect to Jesus, and it requires a certain level of commitment because in order to connect with Jesus, you have to reorder your life, your priorities, your time schedule. All that stuff gets messed with when you decide to commit to Jesus. This is just a reality. It's not really even unique to Jesus. Anything you want to commit your life to, you reorder your life around it. Sometimes it feels like, you know, I, like I'll feel bad just preaching a message like this because I'm like, man, you know, I'm messing with their priorities. And, uh, yeah. But you're already messing with your priorities. You're, you're already messing with your schedule. You already 
uproot your entire life to chase a priority that's not Jesus. It might be different for you than it is for me, but we all struggle with this idea of, of committing to Jesus even in the same way that we commit to other things in our lives. If you go to the doctor, for instance, and he says, you're about to die if you don't make some major changes. You got my attention, doc. <laughs> you know? And you begin to reorder your life. At least I hope you do. If you, uh, man, you have kids and you decide that, man, I, we've got to do the, the extracurricular activity phenomenon that's going on in, in culture these days where you've got to be enrolled in this and that and this, you know, you've got to be in dance class and four sports by the time you're six or else you're not going to make it in life, right? So you enroll your kids in all these things. You completely uproot your schedule, don't you? Your whole routine is thrown off. You have a whole new set of commitments to follow through on. And so you rearrange your weekends. You rearrange your weeknights. Don't you? To fulfill all these commitments. That you didn't have to make, but you chose to make them. And when hunting season rolls around, there's a whole lot of fellows reorder their whole life for a season, right? The whole season gets, I mean, you know, Sorry, honey, that weekend I'll be at the camp. <laughs> we, we have no problem doing this in other aspects of our life. You'll notice the people that maybe do this to the most extreme, that excel at this the most, are the people you hear about that are doing something in secret, like having an affair with someone, they're cheating on their spouse, or they are uh, you know, doing some sort of illicit activity behind the scenes, and they go to great lengths to reorder their life in such a way that it's secretive and yet, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard work to keep something a secret and make maximum time for it and still maintain your job and your home life. People get real creative. Why don't we ever get that creative with how to follow Jesus? With a commitment to connecting with Jesus if that's where life is to be found? The life Jesus offers is found in seeing and hearing him and then going and doing likewise. And this is a pretty radical shift for a lot of us because for a lot of us, we signed up for a deal where you say a prayer and then you go to church when you can. And that that's what Christianity looks like. But what Jesus is actually calling you to and where the life that you wanted when you signed up for this thing is actually found is in following Jesus. Not just taking on a title of Christian, but in living as a disciple. And so we have to make a stronger commitment if we're going to have the kind of connection with Jesus that leads to life. I wonder, this young man, how is he expecting to learn from Jesus if he wasn't going to follow Jesus? How is he expecting to pick up on the practices that he would need? It's as though he just wanted Jesus to give, you know, give him a little like bag of 
pixie dust or something, you know, <laughs> like just give me something I can sprinkle on my life and I'll just, you know, not have to change anything about my life or change anything about my schedule. I won't really have to make any new commitments because Jesus, frankly, my life's pretty full of commitments right now. Uh, so if you could just give me something that I can just kind of sprinkle on there or a prayer I can pray uh, and work into what I'm already doing, that would be great. Jesus is like, well, I mean, the life you're looking for is found in following me. So why don't you just get rid of all those commitments that are keeping you from doing that and come follow me and you'll have life. The conversation that follows this as the young man hits his brakes at the yellow light, misses out on the opportunity to commit and walks away, then Jesus' disciples are blown away by this. And Jesus has this whole conversation where they wrap their brains around the fact that, that they did what this man was not willing to do. That they left homes behind. Jobs behind. To follow him around the countryside. And learn at his feet. To find life. And Jesus says, you won't be disappointed. This is not a hoop to jump through. It's a reality to live into. And so let's just talk for a second. Practically speaking, even though Jesus is not here in the flesh with us, he's here in the spirit and, and we have the gospel, we have his teachings, we have the teachings of his apostles, we have a lot of advantages that this young man did not have, and yet still we have to be willing to commit ourselves and reorder our lives to a degree if we want to follow Jesus. And so let's just talk for a moment about some of the things that they would have had to do if they wanted to follow Jesus that we still yet have to do in some way if we want to follow Jesus. First off, you have to commit to learning from Jesus. Right? I mean, on some level you've got to You've got to be learning at the master's feet. Or else how are you going to know what to do? How to live? How is your mind going to be transformed if you're not learning truth from Jesus? Because this world is full of lies. Your mind comes pre-programmed with some lies that have to be worked out. So you need to learn the truth from Jesus. Are you willing to commit to that? Are you willing to commit time out of your week to study God's Word? A lot of us would struggle to find one 30-minute slot in a seven-day week to sit down and study what Jesus said, meditate on it, think about how to apply it in our life, we'd be hard-pressed to find that 30 minutes. In addition to learning from what Jesus says, we also learn to do the things that Jesus did. I mean, if, if there were certain practices that Jesus needed to do to stay connected with the Father, then you can betcha that we need to follow those practices if we're going to stay connected with, his, with the Spirit of God as well. And so what did Jesus do? He did things like pray 
Sometimes he would pray all night. Sometimes it was just a short prayer. Sometimes he prayed out loud. And sometimes he prayed in silence. But he prayed and he made prayer a practice and he taught his disciples to pray. And so prayer needs to be a part of our life, not just something that we throw up when we need something, but a rhythm in our life. What would it look like for you to make prayer a rhythm in your life? Again, a lot of us would find it a challenge just to find a 30-minute slot in our week to just sit there and pray. This one's even worse. Jesus would find places of silence and solitude where he would shut all the noise out. All the noise of the crowds was what he had to deal with the most. Even the nagging questions of his disciples and just be silent before God. This may be one of the disciplines that Jesus practiced that we need more than ever in our culture today where there's so much noise. And so for us, a commitment to Christ might look like turning off technology, finding a quiet place somewhere, and just being still with God. But who has time for that? Jesus, every single Sabbath, was found in the same place, the synagogue, or the temple, gathered to worship. Every time they had a festival in Jerusalem, he and his disciples went to it, to be around the people of God, to worship God in community. He placed a priority on this. But we have so many priorities vying for our weekends and our schedules. It's hard these days to plan anything at church or even if you're on a committee to plan a meeting for the committee to meet because, well, this person's got this going on and this person's got this going on and schedules are impossible. And these days, you know, tournaments get scheduled on, on uh, weekends. You know, if you're going to go visit someone, it's got to be on a weekend. Our schedules get crazier and crazier. I don't know what we're going to do about it. Surely Jesus would never ask us to give something up. Fasting. I was excited that and a whole bunch of you signed up for fasting as part of our church on a mission thing. I put that on there and I was like, we're going to have two people. And one of them is going to be me. <laughs> but so many of you said, hey, I'll, I'll fast every month, praying that God would help us to go deeper and reach farther as a church. So that's awesome. But that's one of those things where man, it helps you. It's a discipline that helps you make sure that your commitment is right to the right things, right? And that your priorities are straight and that your God is not your stomach and those kinds of things. So, awesome. Giving and generosity. It's another example of a way that we commit to a practice that, that Jesus practiced that help on all these things help us to find the life that Jesus was offering. 
to be people who aren't just saved by the blood of Jesus, but are actually engaged in the life of Jesus. So I invite you today to commit. I don't know where you're at or what your commitment's like. I don't know what your next steps need to be. But I know one thing, we all need to get to the bottom of how committed are we to Jesus. And what do we want out of this thing? When I was in college, I had given my life to Christ as a pretty young kid. I grew up in church. But there was a season in my life where I had to wrestle with how committed am I going to be to this thing? And this was years before this whole ministry thing happened and being a pastor. I just, I had to get straight in my life. How committed was I going to be? I felt like I was at a crossroads. You know, college is one of those times, one of those seasons of life where, like, you know, it feels like real life is just ahead, you know? And, and I had to decide, I had to get my head on straight about how committed was I going to be to this Jesus thing? And it was a, kind of a scary thing. It was tempting to hit the brakes. Because there were a lot of things that I was afraid would happen if I said yes to going all in with Jesus. And some of them have happened. <laughs> but, but it's been worth it. And, I, and I've been, it's been a thing that he grew within me and to where I was wanting to do it by the time it got there, even though I had dreaded it at that point. But anyway... I say this to say, there, there comes a time in your life, and maybe this is that time for you, where you have to wrestle down or re-wrestle down, how committed am I to Jesus? Do I want the freedom and the life that he offers, or do I not? If so, am I willing to reorder my life in such a way that I can come follow him? Because even though that doesn't mean selling everything and wandering around the countryside these days, because His Holy Spirit is available to us. And so He can use us in our job where we're at, or He can, if you sign up, He might tell you to leave everything behind. <laughs> he might tell you to leave a career behind and do something different. I've known plenty of people who have. I've known businessmen who, who left everything and went into the mission field or into ministry of some kind. You never know what happens when you commit to Jesus, and that's what scares some of us. But He can use you right where you're at. But it will take a reordering of your life if you're going to connect with Jesus. It's just a practicality, a reality of how things work. It's not a hoop that you have to jump through. It's just, if you want it, come get it. Right? If you want the life that Jesus has to offer, then come get it. Just as you do with everything else in your life that you want. You reorder your life to go get it. So decide today. How committed do you want to be to Jesus? This doesn't have to be feelings based. You don't have to have a certain emotion attached to it. You don't have to understand it all either. This isn't really an emotional thing or a mental thing so much as it is a faith thing. And faith has to do with willpower, right? Willing to do something because of a hope that you have. Something you can't yet see or feel, but you have this hope, and therefore, by faith, you will yourself forward.
and you choose, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to commit, I'm going to connect with him in a deeper way. You choose this by faith, and he honors it because of your faith. Close your eyes just for a moment. Take inventory. Ask God in your heart to help you be really real about your commitment level to Him and about where He'd like that to be. Consider where you'd like that to be. Let's have a conversation with God today about that. One thing's for sure. Jesus is committed to you. He made that abundantly clear. Before we pray, and as you reflect in your hearts, is there anyone willing just to raise a hand and say, I'm committing or recommitting to Jesus today? Anyone just saying, you know, I'm going to up my commitment. Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your incredible commitment to us. You have great plans for us. I believe it. There's great freedom and life abundant in you that exceeds our imaginings and our circumstances. God, we confess the stuff going on inside of us, our sin, our bondage, our inadequacies, our lack of commitment, our struggles. And God, we commit to you now. Holy Spirit, we need a connection with Jesus. We need a real relationship that transforms us from the inside out to experience the life of freedom and fullness you designed for us. Help us experience more of you, God, as we commit ourselves to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.